Before we get into the conversation, I just want to give a huge shout out to the sponsors of this episode, Newzest. They're a plant-based nutrition company that believes in making good nutrition easy for everyone. Newzest produces a range of nutritional products including its clean, lean protein, a sustainable pea protein powder. Pea protein contains all nine essential amino acids that people need to support muscle health and other bodily functions. The clean lean protein variety from Newzest contains up to 21 grams of protein per serving and is a super convenient way to help you achieve your daily protein requirements. I personally love the chocolate flavor which tastes amazing in a smoothie or some overnight oats. Don't take my word for it though, head to newzest.com forward slash PBN to check out its range and use the discount code PBN20 for 20% off. We're having wildfires in the West and in Australia and in Greece. We, we know what's happened. And the problem is not just a problem, it's an existential emergency. So in an existential emergency, why not say, let's do the first thing and the easiest thing we can do. Let's, let's deal with the low hanging fruit. The easiest thing we can do is stop eating meat. Hi, plant friends, and welcome to another episode of the PBN podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. This week's episode will be hosted by Klaus Mitchell. Our guest this week is Glenn Mercer. He is an author, a playwright, and a screenwriter who grew up in Balmore, New York, Long Island, and attended college at New College of Florida in Sarasota. After college in the early 80s, he became a stand-up comic in San Francisco. Glenn began his career in book writing as the co-author of Mad Cowboy and No More Bull. He is the co-author of Unprocessed by Chef AJ and The Plant Advantage by Benji Kurtz, as well as being one of the editors of the Happy Cow Cookbook. Off the reservation, Glenn's first novel is a comic narrative about a quirky vegan congressman who undertakes an unconventional quest for presidency. Fast forward to 2021 and Glenn is still making waves within the vegan movement. His new book released this year couldn't be more timely. Food is Climate, a response to Al Gore, Bill Gates and Paul Hawken and a conventional narrative on climate change. Makes an absorbing case for why we need to end animal agriculture if we are to survive. As always, if you do like this episode, don't forget to comment, like and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. So thank you so much, Glenn, for, for doing this, this interview. I really appreciate it. So your new book, Food is Climate, what prompted you to write this book? I had learned years ago that the FAO, uh, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, had done a report in which they said that 18% of greenhouse gases were attributed to animal agriculture, more than all forms of transportation combined. And then as I was writing my last book, Own Your Health, I came across that it was 14.5% that the FAO said, not 18%. And I always remembered 18%. So I, I was wondering, was, was my memory wrong? And then I discovered that in fact, the FAO changed their mind. Initially they said 18%, but then they worked with some agricultural interests in the uh, meat and dairy industries, and they decided to revise their figures. 18% was too much. It was 14.5%. Meanwhile, uh, back in, I think it was 2013, Worldwatch had done a study in which they attributed 51, at least 51% of greenhouse gases to animal agriculture. So more than half of our problem according to the worldwide, worldwide study, was animal agriculture. And then I learned that a fellow named Silas Rao had done a study 
in which he attributed more than 87% of greenhouse gases to animal agriculture. So I started to wonder who was right here. If it's 87% or more, then in essence, we're being lied to when we're being told that the biggest problem is that we need LED light bulbs. We're, we're being peddled a myth that we could reverse climate change by carpooling or by changing our thermostats or by having more efficient refrigerators. All those things are to the good. It's, it's good to be energy efficient. It's certainly good to have renewable energy. It's certainly an improvement to have electric cars, but none of those things will reverse climate change. There's only one way mathematically that we can do it, and that's to turn the world vegan or as close to vegan as possible. And these numbers is 18% and 14.5 and 87 and 51. You'd expect naturally a little bit of variance, but why is there so much? There's so much variation because it depends upon whether you're thinking in a constrained way in which you say, well, everybody's a meat eater in the world, so we just have to keep eating meat. And there's nothing we can do about that. So let's not examine meat eating because that's just a given. And then if you accept that the world has to eat meat, then you may come to the, the FAO numbers of something like 18% or 14.5%, although even that understates it, and I'll explain why. But if you have an open perspective and you say, wait a minute, we don't have to be eating meat three times a day. We don't even have to be eating meat twice a day or once a day. We don't have to eat meat at all. I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat in 40 years. I'm fine. I'm healthy. So if you don't eat meat at all, then you open up the grazing land. The grazing land is more than one third of the non-ice land surface of the earth. We are taking more than one third of the earth and we are reducing the soil capture of that land, and we are reducing the potential for carbon sequestration on that land by not having trees on it. Worse than that, we have pasture maintenance fires on that land. When you burn, you're putting carbon dioxide into the air. When you degrade the soil, you're reducing carbon capture on the soil. And when you don't grow trees, then you're forfeiting that potential sequestration of carbon dioxide. So what if we didn't do it? What if we didn't eat meat and we didn't need to graze more than one third of the earth? Then let's look at those numbers. And that's what Silas Rao did in his study that nobody else did because he was open to the possibility that we don't need to eat meat because we don't, because all it does is give us heart disease and diabetes and obesity and pandemics. So we don't need this. So if you open up that perspective that nobody at the UN is willing to consider, that most climatologists are not willing to consider, if you just think, well, what if we don't harm ourselves by eating meat? We don't harm the planet by eating meat. 
and we rewild more than one third of the Earth's land surface, then what would happen? And what would happen is we would pull down enough carbon dioxide that not only could we begin to reverse climate change, we could also still fly in airplanes. We can still live a lifestyle that is at least uh, comparable to what we're leading today. I'm not saying we should have gas guzzling vehicles. I'm not saying we should you know, keep uh, uh, having coal-fired energy plants. We have to uh, address the energy sector as well. But we could lead a lifestyle that's very similar to what we lead today. We would be pulling down the carbon dioxide that we emit into the air with, with a trillion more trees in the world. We could plant one to two trillion more trees in the world on all that grazing land. But if we don't free up the grazing land, where are we going to put a trillion trees? Can't put them all in New York City, you know? So we need the grazing land. We need the grazing land to save the earth and we need the oceans. And so what we have to do is stop industrial fishing and let the oceans be the lungs of the world and heal the oceans. So those two segments, the grazing land that needs to be rewilded and the oceans that need to be protected. And how do you do that? The answer is you don't eat animals, you eat plants and you get healthier. My name is Ali. I've been fascinated with the ocean for as long as I can remember. But this romantic vision that I always had of the ocean completely changed. I was forced to confront a side of the story I never knew. A story of just how huge our impact on the seas had become. Where are the big environment groups? They are deliberately not engaging with the most important issue of all. Can you turn off the cameras? Thanks. Would you say there's any safety concerns for me making this film? And Seaspiracy, which was uh, included in your book, it must have been a late edition. Let's just talk about that because why is it that the ocean side of things has been kind of left out of the environmental debate for so long? Well, there's no good answer to that question. It should have been part of the conversation always. It's just that, again, climatologists, the UN, most of our experts just accept that we must have fishing because it's part of what people eat. They don't question it, but I don't eat fish, I'm fine. All, all the, vegan, the vegan diet is, a, is the healthiest diet on the planet if it's a low-fat, whole foods, vegan diet. And you certainly don't need fish. And in fact, fish are very unhealthy because the, the, the toxins in the fish get concentrated as the Bigger fish eat the smaller fish, and even bigger fish eat those fish. You're concentrating the mercury and the other toxins in the ocean. The safety concerns are serious. Ignore them at your risk. If you're getting in the way of their business, you are risking your own life. The slaughter of these dolphins is a reaction to the overfishing that's happening. <laughs> We hear a lot about blood diamonds. This is blood shrimp. So eating fish, just like eating red meat, it's essentially the same thing. What was really interesting was there was a part in the book where you said, 
we shouldn't be saving the whales just for the whales, but also humanity um, ourselves. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Whales have a, have a symbiotic relationship with the tiniest creatures in the ocean, the phytoplankton, which are responsible for the oxygen we breathe. And the phytoplankton also actually help to seed cl- clouds. The clouds reflect light and help cool the earth and, of course, bring rain. And the whale feces are a source of nutrients for the phytoplankton. The whales also circulate cooler water from the bottom of the ocean to the top. So it's all part of a dynamic system that nature has created over millions of years that protects our climate, protects the oceans, and lets the oceans flourish. When we uh, rape the oceans with, with industrial fishing, even when lobstermen use traps on the bottom of the ocean and they have ropes that go to the top and those ropes trap whales. Even lobstermen are responsible sometimes for killing whales. We can't do that. We have to leave the oceans alone. And if we leave the oceans alone and we leave the grazing world alone, it will all regenerate. It will all come back. The earth will heal itself. All we have to do is get out of the way. And the way we get out of the way is by eating the food that we are meant to eat, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, which is healthier than the diet that people are eating around the world today. All we have to do is get out of the way and the earth will heal itself. Global climate is one of the many stories knocked off the front pages by this pandemic, but even as the world economy stalls, it's still there. If, like me, you're passionate about purchasing products from brands who choose considerate and sustainable business practices, you might want to hear about Newzest. They're the sponsor of this episode. The makers of plant-based nutrition products Newzest have a genuine care for the environment. That's why its products are made from sustainable European golden peas grown in clean, toxic-free environments in northern France. Peas are one of the most sustainable sources of plant-based proteins. They use less land and less water while putting nitrogen back into the soil. Newzest manufacturing also has a low carbon footprint. It uses no chemicals in its protein isolation process, purifies and recycles the water it uses, and it turns all waste into biofuel. Its canisters are also 100% recyclable. Find out more about Newzest and their eco-friendly supply chain at newzest.com forward slash PBN. Al Gore, a carnivore no more. The former vice president's new eating habits are today's buried lead. These are the stories we don't think are getting enough attention. And if there is one thing that can never get enough attention, it's what Al Gore eats. Bill Clinton, Al Gore, the 1992 Democratic ticket. But 21 years later, you might say the Clinton-Gore theme song has gone from Fleetwood Mac's Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow to Don't Stop Thinking About Tofurky. How's that? They've gone from southern fried to southern fennel, from serving up political red meat to serving up no meat, no fish, no dairy. The news now? According to Forbes magazine, Al Gore has joined his running mate becoming a vegan. 
And the title of the book is Food is Climate, a response to Al Gore, Bill Gates, Paul Hawking, and the conventional narrative on climate change. How does what you're saying differ from this kind of conventional narrative on climate change? If you could just briefly explain it. Right. Well, none of them are focusing on the leading cause of climate change, which is animal agriculture. They barely mention it. Again, they sort of assume that people have to eat dead animals. We don't. And it's better for us if we don't. So once you question that assumption that people need to eat animals, then you you see the solution staring you in the face. And uh, Bill Gates, in his recent book on climate, dismisses it. He says something like, gee, you might say we could solve the problem just by going vegan, but of course that's not realistic because meat eating is so important to different cultures. Well, why? We can't challenge cultures. We can't have a, a July 4th vegan burger instead of a July 4th meat burger. You know, we can't have something else at the center of our table uh, for Thanksgiving other than a turkey. You know, we can't make cultural changes. Why not? So again, Bill Gates just dismisses the idea that it would be possible for human beings to stop eating meat. Same thing with Al Gore, he barely mentions animal agriculture. And when he does, uh, I heard him speak to a group of climate activists recently, and the only time he mentioned animal agriculture was to celebrate something he called regenerative animal agriculture. This is all the rage at the moment, regenerative meat. It was grass-fed meat, now it's regenerative meat. If you could just explain it and how, you know, do we debunk this, this concept? And could you just explain it, please? Okay, well, let's talk about two things. One, regenerative agriculture, and then two, regenerative animal agriculture. There are some principles of regenerative agriculture that are terrific and are important, and we should encourage. One of them is no-till or low-till agriculture. You can grow food without needing to till the earth and bring all that carbon back into the air. So that's a better way to farm. And it's better to use nitrogen-fixing crops to help bring nitrogen into the soil and protect the soil. So it's also better to not use chemical fertilizers, and to not use pesticides. All of that is part of regenerative agriculture. Um, Regenerative agriculture is sort of a vaguely defined thing, but those principles are good. But then the other part of it, the animal regenerative agriculture, celebrates cow manure, as if somehow we can't grow food without cow manure. Of course we can. And, And if there are wild animals, they'll contribute manure to the soil, composting can contribute nutrients to the soil, Uh, nitrogen fixing crops contribute nutrients to the soil, biochar is a soil amendment that can help protect the soil, many ways to have healthy soil without having thousands of cattle roaming on the soil. Um, So there's just no need for it, it's just another nonsensical way to try to insist that eating animals can't be changed. But of course it can be changed. We don't need to eat animals. 
there's no advantage to regenerative agriculture. And when, when you look at the climate science, it's actually a fact that in terms of the climate, we're better off actually, although still it's terrible, but the confined animal feeding operations, are, which are horrible, which are environmental nightmare, actually contribute less methane to the atmosphere than the regenerative agriculture. Because in regenerative agriculture, the, the cows actually emit more methane when they're eating grass than when they're eating the grain. And they live longer, so and they require more space. So in terms of the climate, regenerative agriculture is actually worse for the climate if it's animal agriculture. It's actually worse for the climate than the horrible, horrible confined animal feeding operations. So it's not a solution. It's just nonsense. It's another way to try to insist that people still eat animals. And when you look at the statistics, less than 1% of the meat that Americans are currently eating is grass-fed. And I don't know what percentage of that 1% is regenerative, but it's undoubtedly a microscopic fraction of the total meat that people are eating is regenerative. And in order to, for, for people to eat meat like they do in America, for it all to be regeneratively raised, we would need about four Earths. There just isn't enough room for it. So it's nonsense. It's not a solution. The only solution is to stop eating meat and get healthy. Do you think these proponents of uh, regenerative meat or even people like Al Gore that you write about in the book, do you think they're just kind of misinformed or is there a kind of lack of integrity going on here? That's a great question. And I don't know the answer. There's probably some of both. And there's probably some cognitive dissonance because they don't want to believe the truth. I mean, Al Gore himself, I believe, is a vegan. That's what he said. Um, but he doesn't want He's a Remember, he started as a politician. And I think he still has those political instincts. And it's very hard for a politician to say we should all go vegan because that wouldn't be an election winning strategy today in America. Maybe he just doesn't want to say it and he knows it's true. The reality is the climate emergency is just that. It's an emergency. And in an emergency, you have to deal with facts. You have to deal with the reality. And the reality is we cannot solve this problem unless we stop eating meat, period. The math, you could, it's simple in a sense. You could do it on a napkin. Unless you take more than one third of the Earth's land surface and make it work for us, make it sequester carbon, retain more carbon in the soil, you can't, you can't stop the dynamic in which we're adding more and more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. And the way you reverse the process is called trees. We need more trees. And in order to have more trees, let's look at the more than one third of the Earth's land surface and use that to have trees and vegetation and, and store more carbon in the soil. The soil stores more, more uh, carbon even than the trees. So we need to protect the soil, grow the trees, let the trees plant themselves even, rewild and protect the oceans. And then we've got the problem solved.
And the only way to do that is to stop having a diet based on eating dead animals. We just have to think about it. it the, the math is clear. And what do you say back to people that say that's just vegan propaganda? Well, it isn't propaganda. The, the uh, you know, we know what's happening to the climate. It's proven over and over again, and we see it happening on the news every day. The earth is heating up. We, there was a town in Canada uh, called Lytton, I believe, that in June broke the Canadian record for the hottest temperature ever in Canada, 121 degrees Fahrenheit in Canada. And so that town made headlines that day. And then the next day, that town burned down. We're breaking heat records all the time. We're having wildfires in the West and in Australia and in Greece. We, we know what's happened. And the problem is not just a problem, it's an existential emergency. So in an existential emergency, why not say, let's do the first thing and the easiest thing we can do. Let's, let's deal with the low hanging fruit. The easiest thing we can do is stop eating meat. It isn't so easy to say, let's end the airline industry. That's a major disruption to economies all over the world. I'm not saying people should fly as much as they do. Maybe we can begin to reduce our flying, but to cut out the airline industry overnight, it's not possible, it's not doable, and it, it, it has a lot of harms. I mean, the, the, the flying is a social good in many ways. It's great to be able to see the world. It's great to be able to see your loved ones. Many people depend on flying in order to lead their lives. So flying certainly has a social good as well as an ecological harm. So flying is a difficult concept. We don't have solar airplanes. So that's a tough one, flying. But eating dead animals? What, what's difficult about this? It's bad for your health. It creates pandemics. And it's destroying the climate. This is, this is the no-brainer. Let's start with the easy stuff. Stop eating dead animals. That's easy. Then you get healthier. Societal costs go down. We don't have to spend all our money on, uh, you know, uh, heart bypass operations. We don't have to spend all our money on, on, on uh, medicines. You get healthier. The economy revives when people are healthier. You free up more food. It deals with world hunger. Because instead of feeding our food to the animals, we'll have more food for humans. So it's better for world hunger. It's better for human health. It's better for the environment. And it's better for the climate. It's a no-brainer. And what's different? How do you sum up what's different about this book compared to others? And how is it unique? Well, this is the first book, I believe, on climate that makes this case. Can you talk about Paul Hawken and his views and kind of your relationship with him and how that's evolved? Paul Hawken has always been something of a hero of mine. He's a, he's a good man and he's a brilliant guy. Um, and he has a non-judgmental spirit and a very positive spirit. And I think those are generally good things. You know, I like people who are non-judgmental in general and, uh, and uh, positive and optimistic. So those qualities that he has, has uh, those qualities I'm sure have served him well. 
in his book, Drawdown, he takes those qualities and he therefore refuses to oppose animal agriculture because he doesn't want to be judgmental. He, he doesn't want to say eating meat is wrong. And, he, and in a speech he gave at the Aspen Ideas Festival, he talked about how in our book, we don't say anything's right. We don't say anything's wrong. We say, what do you want to do? Uh, what's best for you? And that's just not the way to approach a climate emergency. If something is wrong, it's wrong. If destroying the oceans is going to destroy the earth, we have to say it's wrong. If, if, having, if killing 80 billion animals a year is destroying the planet, we have to say it's wrong. If having over a billion cattle emitting methane, and methane is really up to 120 times as powerful a greenhouse gas as, as carbon dioxide, we have to say that that's wrong. We can't do that. We can't have over a, hundred, over a billion cattle in the world. So we have to stop breeding cattle. When something is wrong, we have to say it's wrong. And that's what Paul Hawken is unwilling to do because I'm sure he's a nice guy and it isn't part of his character to try to um, confront people. But we have to confront something that's causing a climate emergency. Thanks again to Newsast who kindly sponsored this episode. If you're on the hunt for a pea protein to boost your daily protein intake or to optimize your health, I'd definitely recommend checking out their products. Have a browse at newsast.com and don't forget to use the discount code PBN20 to get 20% off.